Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So the overwhelming majority of today's show is going to be related to some of the stuff that Kirby Smart had to say Saturday when he spoke to reporters after Georgia's second spring scrimmage and obviously a huge preview of G-Day coming up. I think there are a handful of Georgia players who, and I know many of you feel the same way, I am just dying to see them on G-Day. So curious about you know guys like Kendall Milton. You hear some good things about Carson Beck, guys like that. I, I'm The list of guys that I, Arian Smith had put on this list, the list of guys that I'm just fascinated to see come G-Day on Saturday, many of you looking forward to either watching it or being there, whatever else. I mean, it's just so long right now, and a lot of what we do on today's show is going to be related to that. But would you give me a couple of minutes though, to maybe off of the very top of today's program, kind of address a topic that's maybe slightly off the radar for the G-Day-obsessed Georgia fan at the moment. Because this morning, Paul Feinbaum, of course you know him, SEC Network personality, makes an appearance as he does each and every week on a Birmingham, Alabama radio station known as WJOX. And Feinbaum said something really interesting. Now, let me give you just a quick backstory on this. Most of you are kind of aware of this, but it really kind of sets us up for why what you're about to hear from Feinbaum is really interesting. If you are a SEC historian of any stripe, I think one of the things that you would just generally concede is that the gold standard rivalry in the SEC, the rivalry that has been viewed to be the most intense, the most prestigious, the one that matters the most. Now, I would say not the two schools that hate each other the most. That, for me, forever and a day is going to be Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But they are just, you know, smaller fan base, less prestigious rivalry. kind of gets pushed off to the side. But if you want to just sort of see sort of a knockdown drag out, almost like the way in which, you know, the family feud kind of turns into a brawl by the time Thanksgiving night is done. That's what the Egg Bowl typically is. But we'll push that to the side for the moment because – When you think about, like, the rivalry that has just kind of always had the prestige, even folks kind of outside the SEC footprint know about it. Obviously, you'd think about Alabama and Auburn, the football series known as the Iron Bowl. This is one that's just kind of famous even outside the borders of the SEC, much the same way Michigan-Ohio State would be or Duke and North Carolina would be in basketball. And for the most part, everybody's kind of aware of that, right? People know about the Iron Bowl. Even Georgia fans who don't care much about schools outside the dogs, they know Iron Bowl there as well. But when Paul Feinbaum was, by the way, in the heart of Iron Bowl territory, Birmingham, Alabama, the place where the game was played, I guess what, every year up until uh, 1989, I guess, in the heart of Iron Bowl country, Paul Feinbaum goes on WJOX here this morning and says that Alabama-Auburn is no longer the most intense rivalry that he knows of in the SEC. I thought this was very interesting. Take a listen to this. Alabama-Auburn is no longer really the driving rivalry, I think, in, in, in the Southeastern Conference uh, because everyone understands the reality of it. Nick Saban is going to you know, win 92.3% of the games or whatever. Uh, on, the, on my program, which you know, is, is a more of a SEC-centric show, if I want to just drop uh, some blood into the water and, and see sharks circling, it's it's about Georgia or Florida, and it's vicious. 
So there are two things that I think are really interesting about this, and really probably more than two, but let me mention two right away. First of all, this is an incredibly honest statement from Paul Feinbaum, because, and for those of you that ever watched or listened to the show, his show, you understand that a lot of what goes on there is just kind of stirring the pot for the sake of stirring the pot. What can we do to get, I mean, because let's face it, I mean, you know, uh, four hours that Feinbaum has to fill, that's not easy for everybody to fill. Not everybody's going to just, you know, be great off the cuff speaking, uh, you know, so it's a lot of easier to fill a radio program if you've got a bunch of callers. And a lot of what happens on the Fine Bomb show, just to be completely frank, is is designed to generate a lot of caller interest. Therefore, there's less segment time that has to be filled. That's just kind of the way it goes. It's sort of an old school radio show in that respect. And, and so Fine Bomb's incredibly honest right here when he says, hey, listen, if I really want to draw and generate caller interest to the show, if I want to say something or have a guest say something that gets people fired up and stirred up, it's not... It's not Georgia, it's, it's not Auburn, Alabama that does that anymore. It's not Iron Bowl that does that anymore. That's not the go-to topic to get people stirred up. Now, the best way to do that, the best way to get people stirred up is Georgia-Florida talk. It's the Georgia fans, the Florida fans at each other's throat. That's the thing that gets people stirred up more so than anything else right now. And I don't know that that's necessarily important, but I just do think it's kind of interesting that the uh, way in which Georgia fans, Florida fans kind of hate each other is so intense right now that Feinbaum says, and Feinbaum obviously has his finger on the pulse of SEC fans as well as anyone does. He says, listen, for now, this cocktail party is more intense even than the, uh, than the Auburn-Alabama rivalry is going to be. But the other part of this, too, just a quick aside. Obviously, if the Iron Bowl is losing its prestige, and by the way, this has also been an era in which Auburn won in 2019, won in 2017, won in 2013, but overall, the point that Feinbaum's making is Auburn, even with those head-to-head wins, just has so little personal bragging rights, right? I mean, you know, Auburn has not really made a legitimate run towards a championship since 2017 and obviously got blown out by George in that game. Just given the the lack of success from a end-of-season standpoint in comparison to Alabama, the lack of head-to-head success against a, a school like Georgia, the other big rivalry game that Auburn cares about, this is as neutered as the Auburn program has been at any point in time in my lifetime. You know, a passionate fan base that does want to stir things up, and I can tell you, as the host of SEC Country Live, I, I see kind of the same thing, that you just can't get the Auburn fans fired up these days. They are kind of, I don't know if it's hiding under the bed or you know in a closet, wherever else, but you know these Auburn fans right now are just less engaged than they've been before because they haven't had very much to brag about. Feinbaum there on the SEC Network says he notices the kind of the same thing, which I think is interesting. But let me bring it back to Georgia, Florida here for a moment, though, that, look, it obviously takes two to tango when it comes to a big rivalry like this. And the fact that, that Georgia-Florida is a rivalry growing in prestige, the fact that the game kind of matters and means something, I do think is kind of fun for Georgia fans, even if they don't like to acknowledge the role that Florida has played and kind of making it all the more intense. Feinbaum, when he was on WJOX here this morning, did go into a little bit more detail about how he kind of came to experience this Georgia-Florida rivalry as intense as he views it right now. I'll take a listen to Paul Feinbaum again. I will tell you, uh, it was, I think, four or five years ago, whenever we went down to the cocktail party for the first time, I have to be blunt. I tried to feign enthusiasm for it. You guys, I mean, we're from the same uh, area of the the SEC. Uh, That was a foreign uh, occurrence to me. I mean, I I watched it every year, late October, early November, because Alabama and Auburn usually did not have a big game that day. But it didn't mean a thing. But after going for four or five years in a row, I mean, and listening to Florida and Georgia fans talk like that is the rivalry in the SEC. I mean, I I understand it more now. I mean, it took me a long time to wrap my arms around it. Florida is a member of the SEC, but it's its own entity in many ways. But 
Uh, you know, Dan Mullen understands the game as well as any coach I've seen since Spurrier. And I know he's a he's a Meyer Urban Meyer protege, but but he but I swear he he's got some D. I want to check his DNA. He's related to Spurrier somehow. <laughs> so a lot to unpack there. First of all, Feinbaum kind of goes there from the standpoint that Florida not always kind of of the SEC in terms of sort of the, I guess, the traditional culture that kind of binds some of the SEC schools together. I think that's really interesting. But the overall point that Feinbaum makes there at the end, actually, let's do the very beginning and the very end. First of all, a little bit of a nice shout-out for the uh, for the atmosphere that's created there in the environment in Jacksonville. A lot of us love the cocktail party. Sounds like Feinbaum pretty impressed by that. But at the end there, mentioning Dan, Dan Mullen as a villain kind of in the mold of what Steve Spurrier would have been years before that I think that's true and here's where I think Georgia fans need to be kind of eye open about all of this the Dan Mullins villainry is that a word villainry is that a word uh Dan Mullins status as a villain I think helps Georgia a lot more than it helps Florida because the truth is Mullins shoots his mouth off says a bunch of dumb stuff does a bunch of dumb things it only helps Florida so much because Mullins not quite capable of building the kind of roster that has a chance to be any more than like a two three or a four loss team the way that Florida was a year ago but when you have that kind of villain persona on the other sideline of your uh, biggest rival all of a sudden I think that creates a huge level of motivation for Georgia it's good to have a bitter rival it's good to have a rival that kind of you know keeps your focus where it needs to be it's good that the cocktail party matters now listen I'd love to see Georgia win the game 100 to nothing and shut Florida up forever but the fact of the matter is the fact that a little sign of life continues to exist in Gainesville is the kind of motivating force for Georgia that actually probably makes them better much the same way you know when you have a whole row of restaurants in a city all the restaurants end up getting better because they're competing with each other the fact that Georgia has been forced to compete with Florida the fact that Mullen's such an annoyance that uh, all of a sudden you want to beat him even worse, I think overall that's a, uh, that's a really good thing for the dogs all the way around. One final point on this, and then we'll shift gears and talk about something different. And I know this is going to come across as a little bit self-serving, a little bit immodest, and I apologize for that. When we started the Gator Hater Countdown, way before Eddie ever sat on the desk, the official mascot of Dog Nation Daily, way before there was a golden shoe, way before there was any of that, when we first began the Gator Hater Countdown in 2016, the idea that someone like Paul Feinbaum would go on enemy territory there in the state of Alabama and say the Iron Bowl is no longer the biggest rivalry in college football, it's now Georgia-Florida, that would have been unheard of those years ago. It is amazing how the stature of this game has grown. I'd like to think we have a little something to do about that. And I think the reason why we first started all this Gatorator stuff was just as important then as it is now. It's nice to have a big rival. It's nice to have someone you want to focus your attention on as a measuring stick for how good you're doing. When Georgia beats Florida with the regularity, it also plays in the SEC championship game with the regularity. When you punch that ticket to that spot in Atlanta, all of a sudden you put yourself on a much higher plane in terms of playoff contention and everything else. So, I think it's a good thing that Georgia-Florida is a rivalry that's kind of on the rise in the eyes of someone like Paul Feinbaum. And I think Georgia taking Florida down another peg once they play again this fall in Jacksonville, I think that's a really good thing too. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, radio at noon, and Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, podcast, all the various podcast platforms. However you get to us, just really appreciate you being with us here today. And a big thanks to our friends at Palo Window and Door 
uh, of Georgia for making it all possible. This is a nationally known company, so you get unparalleled resources, but it's family-owned branch right here in Georgia. That means you get unparalleled service when it comes to equipping your house with better, more energy-efficient windows and doors. Makes your home feel better on the inside, look better on the outside. Who wouldn't want that? Also, you can get a free, no-pressure consultation. Expert advice from my friends at Pella about all the ways in which they can help you with like the installation process and all the options you have available to you. That's what they're able to do for you. Also, offering currently right now 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for 20 more, 24 months. So big saving chance right there. A couple different ways for you to get in touch. You can give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Or you can go to this website, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Whether you go to the website or give them a call on the phone number, just make sure you tell them the folks at Dog Nation Daily told them that Pella Window and Door of Georgia would take good care of them. So uh, take good care of you. So make sure you check them out there today. All right, it's John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a couple moments' time. Really fun conversation coming up with him. Before we get to that, though, uh, I do want to go around the doghouse here for a moment. And as I promised, for most of the rest of the show, we're going to pretty well be focused in on kind of what's going to happen as you head towards GD on Saturday, you know, what has happened with uh, the second scrimmage of the uh, spring for Georgia this past weekend. And I got a really interesting tweet from a Georgia fan, a guy who's obviously paying pretty close attention to what's going on here. And I think this is really appropriate as, you know, we kind of look at kind of the mindset of Georgia as the spring gets ready to draw to a close. And what this particular fan noticed from the Kirby Smart press conference on Saturday, I also noticed as well. Let me show you this tweet. I want to read it to you. Then I'll play you the audio. It's Rodney Hewitt, the Georgia fan who writes this to me. He says, uh, hey, B.A., did you, I thought Kirby made a huge statement in his post-scrimmage press conference today. He said, quote, we want to be a vertical passing team. And I think that's huge for all those people that doubt he will allow Munkin to open up the offense. And I think that Rodney's exactly right about this. I noticed that there as well. And the degree to which Smart was clearly articulate about this, I just think is incredibly valuable for George, establishing the right mindset as you head towards the fall. Rodney said he noticed it. He wrote about that on Twitter. Let me let you hear it for yourself so you can hear what other Georgia fans have kind of remarked about this from Kirby Smart on Saturday when he was asked about what his goals for the offense are in general. Here's how Smart answered. Well, I think decision-making, you know, uh, throw and catch the ball, make the plays that the defense gives you, uh, be explosive. We want to be explosive. We want to be a vertical passing team. We're not into making excuses about what receivers are in, what receivers aren't. I think we got good receivers in, and uh, I think they compete really well. And that'll be the expectation every day we go on that field is to be able to attack people vertically and throw the ball and catch the ball. I mean, two things you love about that quote, and I think both these points are really unmissable, unmistakable. The fact that Smart is not going to use the injury to George Pickens or minor injuries to other receivers or injury recoveries for a couple of guys off you know, last year's team. He's not going to use any of that stuff as an excuse why Georgia won't be explosive. He says, hey, even with the guys we have right now, I still think they're plenty good enough to get the job done. We expect to be exp- explosive with what we have right now. I love that sort of level of personal responsibility that Smart seemingly taking for the rest of the program. And to be very clear about what the goal is, we do want to be vertical passing. Listen, you can go back and listen to some of the stuff that Smart said ahead of the 2019 season. Maybe at that point in time, Todd Munkin's still too new, still too unsettled at quarterback, whatever the reasons were. Smart was not quite so clear about exactly what he wanted the offense to be. He, he has kind of sidestepped some of that when he's had a chance to in the past, but not in this particular conversation from Saturday. You can see the entire thing on the Dog Nation YouTube page from Saturday saying, no, we do want to be 
a vertical passing team. We do want those explosive offensive plays, and we're not going to settle for any kind of excuse as to why we can't get that done. A Georgia fan mentioned that to me, Rodney Hewitt sent it on Twitter. I think he's exactly right, and you hear the audio for yourself. I think you'll come to the same conclusion on that. It's Around the Dog House here on Dog Nation Daily here today, and it's John Stinchcomb coming up. Before we do that, though, let me give you a quick shout-out to my friends at Event Buzz Media. And one of the things you hear me talk about a lot are the small business owners that listen to our show, that are, you know, kind of driving around taking care of business as they are you know, uh, you know, listen to the program each and every day, trying to get sales done, trying to get things like that, you know, business to grow. And obviously I've got a great, you know, heart for, for folks who are trying to get all that done. It's one of the reasons why I love telling the story about event buzz media. First of all, they are one of those small businesses, kind of a part of our dog nation community here, but they're also a business that exists to help other businesses. They can create video production for you, whether it be an event, uh, you know, a personal endeavor, or as I said before, your business, one of the things we've learned around here is there's really no better way to tell the story of an event or a business, something like that than through the power of video it's one of the reasons we broadcast on video here uh, each and every day well event buzz media specializes in high impact video that can boost whatever it is you're trying to get done videography video editing they're professional in all of these regards uh, they can put it out there on youtube for you short film productions um, you know music sports whatever else you want to do they're able to kind of help you get that done really telling a great story through the power of video professionally designed and put together by my friends at event buzz media owned and operated uh, right here in the state of georgia avid dog nation daily listener viewer dog nation reader this is uh, our buddy ben green who's a multi-time winner of our golden shoe at the end of the show so these are just good people dog people here uh, a part of event buzz media so if you need a video to help tell a story about something big that you're doing make sure you reach out to event buzz media you can go to eventbuzzmedia.com that's eventbuzzmedia.com or give them a call 423-667-0 That's 423-667-0555. That'll get you in touch with Event Buzz Media. All right, busy show for us before we're done here today. A lot more around the rest of the SEC, a little bit more on Dan Mullen, maybe a little bit of a hypocritical statement that Mullen has recently made. Some folks calling him out for that. We'll tell you about that. But for now, on everything for Georgia, ahead of G-Day coming up on Saturday, let's talk to John Stinchcomb right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll settle to John Stinchcomb here today. Uh, by the way, great edition of our um, Dog Nation freeze frame this past Friday. We'll talk about that before we're done as John really kind of got deep into uh, Adam Anderson and why you know uh, you know folks are expecting a big season from, from Anderson at Georgia this year. We'll talk to John about that before we're done. But, John, before we kind of get to that, let me do a couple of other things with you here uh, first. First of all, I'm, I briefly mentioned this to our audience before. I just get more and more excited about G-Day as the days kind of progress here. And, you know, there are a couple of guys that I'm just sort of fascinated by, whether it be, you know, what's going to happen to the quarterback situation beyond JT Daniels, the obvious starter. You've heard good things about Carson Beck thus far this spring. Seems like Kendall Milton's kind of earning some buzz, trying to figure out kind of, you know, where he fits to this running back situation at George with the veteran guys like Cook and, and Zamir White returning. If I were to ask you, you know, who are some of those names you're most excited about seeing at G-Day? Who comes to mind for you on that? Well, I'd like to see what Nolan Smith has to do. I, I can't wait for this D-line. I mean, uh, with Walker and Carter. I mean, you got some talented guys. Obviously, B.A., where do my eyes go? The trenches. Sure. I mean, <laughs> there's there's a lot of folks that are you know, looking for more flashy, splashy plays from your 
you know, what's coming from the wide outs? Who's the guy that's starting to stand out? Because you know, obviously the loss of Pickens has created some space for big play opportunities for, for some guys that uh, maybe we haven't seen yet, or maybe it's a, a Kiaris Jackson that is a little bit more of a, a known commodity, and he certainly did more than hold his own at the start of this past year. So I think it's just a, a matter of seeing who are the next, who are these next names, the next faces that are stepping in are going to be these cornerstones for this team heading into the season. So I'll admit what I'm about to say is probably a dumb thing, but I'm going to say it anyway, and that's why you're here to correct the dumb things that I say. But <laughs> I always kind of view G-Day as – and this is true for, I think, all spring games, but the one we care about, uh, Georgia. I always sort of view G-Day as an offensive, you know, uh, expedition or, uh, you know, basically demonstration of your offensive ability and the, the defense is just kind of out there to me because you can't sack quarterbacks. Obviously, some of the physicality is going to be taken out of this. It's always hard for me to kind of tell exactly what's going on on defense. Would you mind kind of telling us, you know, just given the fact that, you know, we're not going to see Nolan tackle JT Daniels to the ground as a, for instance, on this, what we can kind of expect to see defense and beyond some of that kind of stuff, what someone like you who brings a trained eye into the discussion, what you'll be looking for. Well, I'll say this as a player, it's almost, I mean, it is, it is certainly not the ultimate experience like game day in a normal week. I mean, you're kind of seeing it more as, well, we're finally wrapping up spring ball and this is the last hurdle we need to clear. So different approach uh some younger guys some some you know walk-on guys are seeing this as like man this is my golden opportunity isn't it every year that there's some uh number five on the depth chart player that has an unbelievable game and in fans minds they're going hey i wonder if he could help us this season and you know let's let's be honest that's usually never comes to fruition but it's fun just because uh you think hey that kid could play which is good for him too he, he gets to uh have his 15 minutes of fame even though it comes in the middle of april um but for for us i think what you can look for is you know the development of of key pieces uh, you know there's some players that really are seeing this as a battle and an opportunity to um express to the coaches that maybe they should pencil my name a little higher on yeah. this depth chart uh, heading into late July and August. Uh, that matters. That very much matters, especially in positions where there's uncertainty. So, uh, you know, working down the list and wide receiver, working through the alignments of this offensive line, checking out rotations at uh, – cornerback and your star position what about what's the rotation look like at defensive end all these things that they really do they are they can be influenced because this is your last time to leave an impression on the coaching staff and I, i think that's what matters most is this is your last chance before you head into the whirlwind that is training camp to to give your coach um that perception that I think we can kind of count on this guy. Now, you can change perceptions when you get in training camp and maybe disprove uh, some uh, constructs, mental constructs that coaches have for particular players. But most of the time, you want to convince them um, that where they perceive you to be is accurate. 
and you're ready for these opportunities rather than try to sway and, and uh, change your perception that, you know, maybe I'm not ready and, and prove that you are because that six weeks or however uh, many, how much time you have between that day one of training camp and game one, it's really not a lot of time and it, it, it happens fast. There's less battle than most people think. It's more about we got to get, get our guys identified and get them ready to play. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I want to talk about something that Kirby Smart said on Saturday because it was a guy that you and I had, a, I thought, a really fun conversation about the other day, Jordan Davis, part of our Dog Nation Freeze Frame series. I'm just of the belief that Davis may be Georgia's best player, and yet Smart also described a possible sequence of events this past Saturday of, hey, if you face one of these teams that has kind of like the quick passing game, quick release quarterback where you know, all of a sudden they're getting the ball out really fast, that's a game plan offensively that could neutralize some of what Jordan Davis is able to do defensively, and Smart was obviously using that as a challenge to make sure that you know Davis maintains the proper weight, doesn't get too heavy to be able to be effective when other teams want to kind of be on the move and be kind of quick. And I think that's all really fascinating because that's obviously, you would imagine, what opposing offenses are going to try to do to Davis. To mix metaphors here for a moment, almost kind of reminds me of the basketball situation where if you've got a great center, a big man in the middle, opposing teams are going to try to play fast kind of neutralize what that big seven-footer is able to do. This, to me, seems like the football equivalent of that. Of course, teams don't want Jordan Davis to just sort of maul people on the interior of the defensive line. Of course, they're going to try to neutralize that. That's a chess match we're going to watch all fall, isn't it? Yes, and I think it's a testament to what Jordan Davis brings to the table. I totally understand what Coach Smart's doing in, in his commentary there of, trying to motivate a player to elevate his game. We, we need you on the field more. You're a difference maker. You're an anchor and, and create opportunities for the players around you. That's who Jordan Davis is. He swallows up the interior. He allows us to do some creative things in the defensive end, outside linebacker position, uh, allows us to utilize the athletes that align next to him. And I think we saw uh, the, the way – our defense has changed when he's not available, when he's not out there, when he was dealing with his elbow injury in 2020. So um, it, it makes a difference not only directly from the plays that he creates, but with how we can use and what our expectations are for the players around him. So the more you have him on the field, the better this defense is. And, uh, you know, def- our offenses, coordinators are going to try to a pickup, and this is this is nothing new. This isn't breaking news. They're trying to figure out what are the best ways to attack uh, Georgia when we play against them, yeah. and it certainly isn't going to be let's run right up the middle at Jordan Davis. So if they could find ways to get one of the best players on Georgia's defense off the field, you better believe they're going to try to do that. So Coach Smart uses that as a motivator. Hey, I need you to be in shape. I need you to be a factor so that. There are less opportunities that an offense coming to town can exercise and utilize to get you out of the game. That's, that doesn't sound like a good option for us. We want you on the field as much as we can, yeah. um, even if it's not in your strong suit of you know, runs up the middle. So let me, you mentioned offensive line earlier. I obviously do want to talk about the offensive line. And I guess here's the thing that I'm curious about right now. And I'm going to put myself in the position of Matt Luke and Kirby Smart for a moment, how I might kind of strategize this. So Kirby said some nice things about Tate Ratledge on Saturday, and that kind of echoes some of the buzz that I think that's coming out here, that Ratledge 
appears to be ready to play. And this was, you know, talking about, you know, just tough as nails, you know, kind of high school type prospect, a guy that you're not surprised is kind of acclimating to college pretty quickly. I think Ratledge probably does need to be on the field somehow, some way, whether that's as kind of a super sub role, the way that like Cade Mays would have once had for Georgia or a true starter, I guess remains to be seen. But John, here's the question I'm asking you. If I'm smart and Luke right now, I may be thinking, wait, is it easier to find a capable guard than it is to find a capable tackle? And all of a sudden, I was all in favor of, hey, let's move Jamari Sire back to his natural position, more of an interior offensive lineman as a guard. Let's find someone else to be, you know, tackle there. But it seems like right now the the buzz for Ratledge may be more substantial than it is for the buzz for anything at left tackle. I'm not saying this is what Georgia will do, but if I was – kind of in charge of the decision-making, part of me might wonder. I, I've seen Salyer play left tackle. He's certainly a capable guy at that spot, even if he's maybe best overall as a as an interior offensive lineman. I've got Ratledge who can play guard at a high level. Therefore, hey, Salyer back to left tackle, Ratledge a guard, and kind of go to work there that way on that. Kind of a long question. But, what, you know, what's your general thought on just kind of that unsettled you know nature of the Georgia offensive line right now at the moment? Well, I'd say this. I think Georgia has an ace in Jamari Salyer and a bunch of face cards that they're trying to figure out yeah. how to make the best hand. This isn't a position of weakness. Uh, there, there are bigger question marks. I mean, I think cornerback probably stands out the most just because of unproven commodities. There's a number of players that, that are fighting for opportunities that we've already seen. Obviously, Jamari Salyer is a name that we know. Warren Erickson's played a ton of football. Justin Schaefer's back. Warren McClendon was the starting right tackle all year long. I mean, these are all guys that uh, have seen the action. Now, what I think is going to be most influential and uh, will dictate and where the rest of the cards shuffle out is Xavier Trust. If, if he is uh, the left tackle that is most likely to uh, take that spot, then it, it frees Jamari up to play an interior. If he's, if he's not at that level, if it, or if it's someone else, you know, Broderick Jones or Mims or uh, one of the younger guys, if, they, if they're able to play at a high level, then you're able to move Sawyer into his more natural spot as an interior player. But he gives you such freedom and flexibility. It allows you to say, "Kylie, if we get a, a one of our tackles to be the best, one of the best five, then that's going to elevate our game because we're, we're going to be able to put Sawyer in his most natural position." Mm-hmm. Now, if they're not ready, we've got other guards that can play that that might be there. But I think your, your biggest determining factor is. I'm going to use Xavier Truss. If Truss is ready, if he is your guy, if he's your answer at left tackle and you feel really comfortable about it, then I think you've really elevated the entire game um, and skill level of this offensive line because Jamari Sawyer moves into the interior and a position that's pretty rich with talent and competition of guard only gets better because of the freedom that you created by, by identifying a left tackle. So I totally agree with you. I think everything you just said there, it makes a ton of sense. And by the way, you know, I still am, you know, of the belief that Xavier Trust can be a really good player for Georgia. I'm not going to hold it against him that maybe you know, he didn't have a, you know, a great game in his first start against Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. That's not the kind of thing that would cause me to give up on him. I think there's a chance that that Trust could be a very good player for Georgia. And, John, I realize – 
what I'm about to say is a hotter take than necessary for a game that's still many months away. But if Georgia has issues at left tackle against Clemson, that's the kind of thing that can get you beat in that game because Clemson's very good with its defensive line. Clemson's very good with its pass rush. There are a lot of really talented guys there. You know, beyond Clemson, you can kind of figure it out over the course of a season and kind of work towards that. But, but you know, by the time you get to Florida and, you know, late October or, you know, what you hope is an SEC championship, you can take some time after that. But that Clemson game, because of how good Clemson's defensive front is, you have to at least be, you know, competent at that left tackle spot. Otherwise, you, you, you potentially lose or you could be you're certainly in, in a threat of losing a, a very high-profile game to begin this upcoming season. Yeah, and I think it's a discussion that's made on that second floor at the Butchmere building yeah. of what, what's our goals here? This is an important game for us, so what are we trying to accomplish? Can we use a younger player at this left tackle spot um, and feel confident that, that we can win this game? Or is it a um, – I, I know what we have in Jamari Salyer. This is It's probably not our long-term answer or – preferred long-term answer for the season, but would you feel more comfortable with Sawyer playing left tackle and, and a younger guy in the interior? Yeah, maybe so, but um, if you're looking for a, a season-long view, maybe we're better off to you know, have one of our – if Xavier Truss is this left tackle, I trust him enough. We're going to have to help him out, but I think we're going to be a better team in the long run uh, by the end of the season if – it's it's Sawyer on the inside and someone else trust you know in particular at that left tackle spot in the long term. So it's that discussion of uh, you know what are we sacrificing? Are we sacrificing long term progress and and stability, uh, or are we sacrificing uh, an oppor- at the cost of a, a one game very important game against Clemson? Or are we sacrificing long-term development for our best opportunities to beat Clemson? I, you know, hopefully that's not part of the discussion. Hopefully it's, golly, this guy's come on. He's playing great. I've got total confidence in him. We're not going to help him, need to help him that much because he's anchoring that position. Now that's the ideal world. That's the, the pie in the sky. And, and you hope that comes to fruition. But I think it's much more likely that they're weighing that decision of, Short-term, Jamari Sawyer at left tackle versus a, a versus Clemson week one, and, and then we'll see how the rest of the season shakes out, or uh, go with a younger guy like Truss and understand that we're probably going to need to help him a little bit and, and not have that same expectation that we would if Sawyer was playing the position. I want to be respectful of your time, so let me just squeeze in one final thing before I let you go. Fascinating to hear Zizo Jalari in our show last week say that he thought that Adam Anderson could have a double-digit, he means 10-plus sacks, here this upcoming year on Dog Nation Freeze Frame on Friday. You also talked about why you think Anderson has a chance to be really a special player for Georgia this year. For the folks who haven't had a chance to see the full show, and I hope they will check it out, and really all of our Freeze Frame content, would you mind just giving us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch about what you see from Anderson and why you think that he could really be kind of part of the tip of the spear for that uh, Georgia pass rush here this season? Absolutely, and I think it starts with his first step. He's got elite speed, he's long, he's 6'5", and he's got the talent. You look at productivity and arguably per play and uh, per uh, times that he's effective in affecting the pass rusher or the, the quarterback as a pass rusher, 
he's probably the most efficient pass rusher we had in the past year. He just doesn't get a ton of opportunities, which means heading into this season, uh, you know, I'm sure this staff is looking at it and saying, how do we keep him on the field more? If I'm Adam Anderson, the question remains of how do I stay on the field so I can get these opportunities so that I have a chance to get double-digit sacks because he certainly has the talent, which means he's got to be able to stand up against the run and not come in only when it's third and seven plus or fourth and 12 and, it, and an opponent is going for it. So, you know, super talented guy. Uh, you've seen his productivity when he's on the field. It's a matter of can he stay on the field more. John, great stuff. Thank you for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia. We'll have another edition of Dog Nation Freeze Frame coming up this week. I'm really excited about that as a great kind of precursor to G-Day. Just outstanding. Uh, John, once again, thanks for your time, and we'll look forward to speaking to you soon. Always a pleasure. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Uh, really great to get a chance to hear from uh, John Stinchcomb right there. Just an incredible, incredible breakdown of what Anderson brings to the table. You know, I love kind of throwing some of that offensive line stuff, you know, at him. And admittedly, part of this is me just sort of thinking out loud, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I'm just kind of pondering all the options available to George. And I do think it's important to kind of you know, not quite be so binary about either this or that, you know. What are the multitude of options that are available? And John does kind of a good job kind of explaining, you know, what, what benefits George. And I think that's really good all the way around. As we get ready to roll into our SEC through, and by the way, as I told you before, some folks feeling like Dan Mullen may be just a little bit hypocritical. We'll talk about that. Before that, though, let me kind of explain something to you here. While G-Day represents something coming to an end, that's Georgia spring practice, the final moment for this year's spring practice will be G-Day on Saturday, it's also the start of something really important there as well. I'm talking about the Georgia Giving Week from our friends of the UG Alumni Association. That's right, G-Day marks the beginning of the Georgia Giving Week. This is a very important thing for you to be a part of. If you, you know, care about UGA, the university, you walk through those arches, you go downtown, you love the, you know, kind of the majesty of North Campus, everything kind of goes along with that. Your time is now to get involved and support the university that you love. Coach Kirby Smart calling on all dogs to be a part of this, to really step up and support a university that's doing such great things around the community, really across the world. University of Georgia, just a, a prestigious academic institution. It's the financial support that folks like the UG Alumni Association are able to provide that helps keep that being true. So you get a chance to be a part of this there as well. Giving Week takes place starting April 27th and goes, I should say, let me let me say that once again. I said the date wrong. April 17th through the 23rd. That is when uh, Giving Week begins, April 17th through the 23rd. And there's a lot of incentives for you getting involved right now. All alumni who donate during Giving Week are going to get a 20% discount coupon to the UGA Bookstore. And by the way, you talk about a shopping spree. You could do some real, real fun shopping there in the UGA Bookstore. And you get a 20% discount if you're UGA alumni, alumnus or alumna who uh, kind of jumps in this as a part of uh, Giving Week. Of course, that's valid in stores from April 15th through April 30th. So great savings for you on that. Also, every donor is going to get an exclusive set of vintage UGA embroidered uh, patches. So that's uh, really fun to be able to do there as well. So lots of incentives for you to get involved. Website to go to, Calling All Dogs, of course, spelled the way it's supposed to be, D-A-W-G-S, callingalldogs.uga.edu for a lot more information on that. Once again, callingalldogs.uga, I should say callingalldogs.uga.edu for more information on that. The big week of giving, getting ready to get cranked up with our friends in the UGA Alumni Association. Going to be a, a lot of fun. 
All right, so Dan Mullen has taken a little bit of criticism for something that he said last week on ESPN Radio. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to kind of explain why I actually think, believe it or not, that some of the criticism of Mullen may not be quite as fair as it might seem. Uh, So here's what Mullen says. He says, the transfer portal is set up for the people that it really benefits. Mullen says, a guy that's been in the program for a couple of years, hey, I'm going to do my senior year, my last year, I'm going to be a backup. I'd love the opportunity to go somewhere else and start go somewhere else and play. That's what it's designed for, Mullen says. He says, I, I think it's going to turn into this, hey, I'm kind of a redshirt freshman, I'm not playing. I, I don't want to keep working and wait another year or two. You know, I, I don't want to be the Kyle Trask story where I'm going to be uh, a huge success. I just want to try and move and do something else. So Mullen essentially saying that the transfer portal is going to create chaos for college football. And a lot of people look at that story and say, well, Dan Mullen, who are you to talk about any of this, given the fact that you essentially have used the transfer portal as what almost seems like the number one mechanism for how he constructs his roster? Dan Mullen is deficient as a high school recruiter. His teams lag behind not just Georgia, but most of the rest of the upper tier of the SEC when it comes to collecting that kind of talent. Uh, Mullen has only been able to be competitive by going out and taking transfer pl- players. Some people say, well, who are you to criticize the transfer portal? But here's the thing to kind of you know kind of keep in mind here. Coaches are always going to argue what's in favor of them. And this is one of the reasons why I don't think coaches' opinion should matter very much when it comes to how we construct the rules for the sport. Because whatever sounds good to a coach at that time is going to be the thing that he argues. When he does take on a player like, you know, Demarcus Bowman from Clemson or Justin Shorter from Penn State, you better believe that Mullen was clearly arguing something different than this is just what coaches do. This is not singularly specific to Mullen. This is what all coaches do. This is one of the reasons why we have to have people who don't necessarily have a you know, a vested interest in an outcome kind of working on what the rules for the sport ought to be because anyone who is kind of a stakeholder within the sport is only going to argue what they think is their uh, best interest overall. By the way, the other point here that Mullen brings up I think is actually a fairly good one is that I do think there's a big difference between a guy who transfers after being in a program for a couple of years compared to a guy who transfers, you know, kind of right away upon entering a program that really the thing that creates the most instability for the sport are those guys who transfer quickly after not really having much of a chance to play. Yeah, those are the guys who I think really threaten the stability of the sport. And those are the the things in which I don't think there's anything wrong with college football having some sort of rule system in place, especially at the intra-conference level. I don't think there's anything wrong with college football having some, or college athletics in general, having some sort of rule system in place that keeps the sport from descending in the kind of chaos that Mullen sort of describes there. I mean, the general tone of what Mullen says, I actually kind of agree with. I, I think that you don't have a sport if you ignore your rules. To, to have a sport, you have to have some rules. That's the thing that makes it a sport. And when college football and college athletics Athletics in general just seems content to just toss its rules aside anytime it wants to because it feels good to grant transfers. You know, I, I do think that you're potentially you know, creating a level of chaos for the sport. I, I don't think that Mullen is quite wrong on that. I'd be in favor of some sort of compromise on this where, as Mullen describes, late in your career, if you haven't been playing, you know, if you have a chance to go play somewhere else, obviously, you know, being someone who wants to support players as much as I can, I'd be in favor of doing that. But one of these things where guys who just signed somewhere are bouncing out of the portal because they're not starting right away, that's the kind of nonsense that I think the college football has an obligation to defend itself from and kind of fight back on because the people who push that kind of stuff are, are just eroding the integrity of the sport all the way around. This is kind of interesting. 
So there is controversy at the University of South Carolina right now. Now, we told you this last week. Um, Darla Moore has spoken out about the university. This is the big-time booster donor, very rich uh, lady in South Carolina. She was unhappy because no one from South Carolina wrote a letter to her when her mother died. Uh, It certainly seems like there's more to that story than just the specific situation there. Uh, It seems like she may be feuding with the university president. And some of this also kind of spills over into, like, the athletic world there as well, even though Darla Moore is not a huge sports fan that I'm – at least that I'm understanding of – but in addition to kind of an embattled president there who seems to be you know, at odds with some of his own faculty members, things like that, you also have a little bit of an embattled athletic director there as well. The athletic director of South Carolina is Ray Tanner, the former baseball coach. And folks are unhappy with Tanner because of you know, the end of the Will Muschamp era. Maybe a lot of South Carolina fans wanted to move on from Frank Martin as basketball coach. Tanner made the decision not to do that. So some of the key personnel decisions he's been dealing with have been really putting him at odds with a lot of the South Carolina fans. And then there's this. So according to some South Carolina fans, young fans, I think maybe even students, they say they were ejected from the baseball park this past weekend because they were arguing with an umpire, basically saying the umpire's blind, the kind of things that uh, certainly Braves fans understand that, uh, that sometimes fans do. Uh, 18 fans reportedly ejected from the ballpark. Now, the SEC is disputing that claim, but the way it's kind of been kind of passed around is, is that there's a code of conduct being given to South Carolina baseball fans that basically say, we want a family-friendly atmosphere, and you know, one of the guys who was ejected says he wasn't being supportive enough of, of the umpires, and that's why he was kind of kicked out. Now, this kind of lands with me two different places. First of all, I love the atmosphere in SEC ballparks for baseball, the way the fans kind of, you know, get after the, you know, each other and, you know, kind of go after the opposing team sometimes makes for a fun environment. I also have young kids, and I appreciate family-friendly stuff there as well. How you kind of split the difference on that and kind of create the kind of thing that young families want to be a part of and also, you know, fans who want to, you know, have some fun and make a raucous environment. Many of you saw the old Miss, you know, thing they're doing now, throwing the beers up in the air in the outfield after the uh, the home runs and whatnot. How do you split the difference with all that? Who really knows? But Ray Tanner, the South Carolina athletic director, who's already in trouble with his fans in some respects, kind of dealing with um, – kind of dealing with the fans on a different issue now the atmosphere around the university of south Carolina at this moment is very very strange that's kind of the bottom line on that two other quick things here very quickly so watching the masters over the weekend it was nice to see this event taking place back in the spring again i think most would agree with that but it still didn't quite feel normal to me just given the small number of patrons who were allowed to attend and you know, listen, it's better than nothing, but you're certainly looking forward to that event, having the roars and the huge, you know, uh, galleries that you're going to use to seeing there. kind of makes me wonder if this is the last event that we'll see of a major sporting variety that's going to have so few fans. As you head towards the start of college football in the fall, you certainly get the impression that more fans are kind of on the way here. And I, I think that's probably kind of a good thing all the way around, um, that by the time we're talking about SEC football this fall, you're going to see a lot more fans in those stadiums for that than you saw for the Masters this past weekend. We'll make that your SEC through. By the way, speaking of college baseball, as we kind of get back to the dogs here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pedal Window and Door of Georgia, what an incredible job by the Diamond Dogs taking the series against number one ranked Vanderbilt, going to the wire with Leiter in a game they lost, you know, take, taking out a, a rocker in the first game of the series, come back and, and you know, getting the uh, deciding game in game three. Incredible job all the way around there. A real fun weekend of baseball for the Diamond Dogs up there in Nashville. 
against the Vandy boys, they're like to call, like to be called. And I guess uh, Georgia basketball news here as well, bringing in Jalen Ingram to the program, a thousand point score, I guess, at Florida Atlantic now here at UGA. Of course, many of you saw Tamani Kamara now at Dayton, uh, Ty Fagan now at Ole Miss. They're like 1,200 names in the basketball transfer portal right now. That entire sport is a mess, but Georgia doing its part, try to keep up, bringing in Jalen Ingram to the program there as well. So as we wrap up here today, uh, I want to give out a golden shoe. And I've been meaning to get this on the show for a while. I told you last week, I've just been crazy behind when it comes to my golden shoes. Let me give a shout-out to a Dog Nation Daily viewer who uh, sent this to us. Can we show this on the screen? Yeah, Chuck Billingham shares this. This is coming from the SportsCenter official account. You may remember former Georgia tight end Jay Rome, product of Valdosta. In his boxing debut, is it Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney? Is that the fight that's famous for the guy getting knocked out of the ring? Rome knocks this dude out of the ring. I hope he's okay, first of all. But what a right hand from the former Georgia tight end. So I'm going to give Chuck Billingham the golden shoe today for sharing a video that's a few days old by now, but an incredible performance by the former Georgia tight end Jay Rome in his boxing debut. Pretty amazing. By the way, lousy stinking Gators. How about a Gatorhead recount down 201 days from right now? Georgia goes to Jacksonville, get some revenge over the Gators. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Talk to you then, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We certainly appreciate your comments, and we appreciate my friends at R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. Of course, air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric, you can trust them to take care of all that for you. And a lot of folks think about A.C. these days. I believe it's going to be about 80 degrees in the state of Georgia today. So a lot of folks obviously cranking up that air conditioning. And if you're worried that yours can't keep you cool today or on the spring and summer that's on its way, get that peace of mind you need by getting your system tuned back up to factory fresh specs find them online at rsandrews.com of course if you want to participate in our rs andrews podcast cool down you can hit me up on twitter at dog nation daily or in our comment section there at dognation.com one of our frequent commenters forestry dog sharing something that's kind of interesting here so i guess uh, one of the florida defensive coaches has kind of put out like a sort of a help wanted ad for a recruit saying that he's seeking young defensive linemen of sec qualifications must have experience in whipping OL on a regular basis in both run and pass and uh, tackling ball carriers there as well. And what uh, Forrester says is, no wonder Florida can't recruit with all these lame PSAs from their coaches. It is amazing. And we talked about that during the regular you know, show a little bit today. You know, this is just not a – there are certain things they just don't seem to get, the recruiting process kind of being one of those things. Uh, very, very strange uh, all the way around on that from them. Uh, just not, I mean, like even like the guy that's supposed to be like the most social media savvy of the Florida assistants, Tim Brewster, he's too much of a tryhard, and all of the stuff that he attempts just kind of falls flat, ends up feeling a little corny. So yeah, there's no question about that whatsoever. That's not that's not a program kind of getting it done there. It's one of the reasons why they've had to you know lean on that transfer portal as much as they have, and yeah, it's just kind of a mess there around the situation in Gainesville. Mac Dog. Weighing in on the topic of Adam Anderson, something that you heard John Stinchcomb and I addressing during the regular broadcast today, talking about sacks, double digits, prediction. That's what Aziz Ojolari says Anderson has in store for the upcoming season. MacDog says about three or four against Clemson, the opener. Yeah, I think that's true. And we also kind of got into this with John today as about ultimately Georgia's got a season to figure out you know, most of its offensive line stuff. And if it wasn't for Clemson week one, they could take as much time as they wanted to with that. But I do think – 
that that pass rush, Clemson's ability to do that, and they've done that very well for a number of years. Georgia's ability to kind of take a step forward from what they did a year ago. Who gets after quarterbacks more? Dogs trying to get after you know Unglele, Clemson trying to get after Daniels. That could be the deciding factor there in that first game. So if Anderson is able to put up more than one in a game like that, or as Ojolari also said in our show last week, if someone like Robert Beal or certainly Nolan Smith could do the same thing, then Georgia could be in, in pretty good shape there in regards to all that. It's going to be one of the things that's watched very closely for that week one game against Clemson. And of course, we've got a lot more time to, to talk about that as you get closer to the start of the season. Thank you so much for being here for our podcast, Cool Down Today. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric. You can trust R.S. Andrews to do all of that for you. And you can find them online at rsandrews.com. Y'all have a great, great day. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. And I'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow, everybody.